Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome to Education Academy. I am very excited about today's episode. I'm Tyler, in case you're just now joining us. That's pretty much all that I have to my name is my first name, so I'm Tyler. But more exciting than that, I'm joined by the one, the only, Jamie Kasson. Kasson. Dang it, I was so nervous about saying it wrong. It's fine. It's fine. Tell everybody a little bit about who you are, what you do, and uh, just, I don't know, anything you want to say. Yeah, thanks for, for having me. So so I am Jamie Kassap, or Jaime Kassap, or Jamie Kassap. It, I mean, there's so many different ways to pronounce names. It doesn't matter to me, right? As long as you call me, that's all I care about. So I am the education evangelist at Google. I've been at Google now for 13 years. And it all started when I was part of the team that launched Google Apps for Education that we now call G Suite into the university space uh, back in 2006 at Arizona State University. Then I launched uh, Google Apps into K-12. The state of Oregon was the first state to use Google as an official tool in their, in their schools, in their school systems. And then I had this crazy idea of launching this tool that I saw internally called the Chromebook into education. And so I've worked across the education spectrum, if you will, over the last 13 years of uh, supporting the team. So I, you know, the team has grown from two of us to 60 plus people in, in different areas. And there's lots of people at Google that are working on the education stuff, products and projects and all these other things that are going on. And my job is to support that team with subject matter expertise, with support out in the field to bring feedback in from teachers and educators. So I travel a lot. So so that on the Google side, that's what I do. I also um, started a school here in Phoenix, and I know we're going to talk about math at some point, but a school called the Computer Science, it's a computer science school called the Phoenix Coding Academy, where we took computer science and we embedded into all the subjects that kids are learning at the school. I also teach 10th grade communication skills. I guest lecture at Arizona State University. And like you, I'm trying to become a YouTube star like you. I launched a YouTube channel um, focused on career advice. You know, we talk about college and career ready, right? That's a word, a phrase that you hear in education. But when you start diving into like, what is college and career ready? There isn't a lot of information for people, right? So I'm trying to create these videos that are focused on what is career ready? What are the things that you could be doing now as a young person, either you're in high school or college or just graduated from one of those two things. And you're trying to make it out in the world. I created this channel focused on you know, for example, how to, how to know the difference between real feedback and validation, right? How to network and communicate. Everyone is a terrible, I get, you know, I'm a public figure. So I get lots of emails. I get lots of like cold requests from people. And I can tell you that 95% of them are terrible, right? So how do you communicate? How do you get, your, how do you get the attention of someone? So I'm trying to do these videos kind of on my own time. Uh, and you know, I knew nothing about video shooting and editing, so I'm learning as I go, and hopefully they get better over time. So if you subscribe, patience. Uh, but those are the things that I'm focused on and the things that I do. That's awesome, and I love it because um, I always appreciate people who who are able to do a lot and do things well, because a lot of people spread themselves thin and they don't do like, you can tell across it, but it seems like everything you're doing, it's very well done. You're, you're doing a good job. And I like the the thoroughness of, and the care in which you're doing it. And I think that a lot of that plays into how passionate you are about it. Like nobody yeah. asked you, I'm assuming to start a YouTube channel. No, uh, I did, but it, you I did. did it on my own. Yeah, no. And, and I know what the secret is. I don't have hobbies. I, I try to, I try to get into golf every once in a while and I'll go out for a couple weekends. And then I'm like, this is the stupidest game in the world. And I'll stop. And then a couple months will go by, and then I'll go back out again. And this is a pattern that I've repeated myself. I've been repeating. 
I, so I don't have hobbies and, you know, I don't watch, I don't watch a lot of TV unless it's the bachelor or bachelorette. Um, and, and so I got a lot of time, right? Like this, one of those things, one of the videos that I'm going to create, uh, is the word is about the word busy, right? We always talk about how busy we are. And I don't think that that's true. Like I, like we're not busy. You know, if you actually start tracking your day and the things that you do throughout the day, there's a lot of like free time that you have a lot of time that you're, you know, how much time do you spend scrolling on your phone? How much time do you spend, you know, just sitting there staring at a television set, right? Like there is a lot of time. And so I feel like we have a lot of time. So I, I, I get up early in the morning and I go all day and, and I'm excited about the work. And a lot of it like you is if you're passionate about what you do, it doesn't feel like work. Yeah, I agree. And I, that's honestly just from a personal aspect, that's always been one thing that, that bothered me because I've always tried to do stuff on either YouTube or social or, you know, just do extra stuff. And yeah. people are like, oh, I wish I had the time to do that. And I'm like, you just told me how you watched like three seasons of stuff in the past two days. Like you have time. It's just <laughs> right, like, right. like I have the same exact same amount of hours in a day as yeah. you have. Like that's the only guarantee I know about our, our, uh, how we're similar is that we have this. Um, and just like, you know, after my kids go to bed at eight, I'll hang out with my wife as long as she wants to talk to me. And then it's, right. that's usually not super long. And so yeah, then yeah. I have like a, a few, three to four hours to like, mid, you know, midnight or one, I can be editing or shooting or doing something. And so I think sure. that I love, and I appreciate people who, who have that mentality. And so it's just like other people are like, I wish I could do that. I'm like, well, you can. I was, so, I was, so are, you, I, are you a night person more than you are yes. a morning person? So here, here's a, here's something I want to share with you. Cause this is, I'm 51 years old. So I'm old. I always considered myself a night owl, right? Which is an ironic term because all owls are night, but, yeah. um, I considered myself someone who worked better at night. And I started realizing I would go to bed at one, two o'clock in the morning. But then you have, when you have a baby, when you have a four year old, that kid's going to get you. They don't care what time you went to sleep, no. right? And so you're getting up. You're getting up. So I, get up. I purposely, about two months ago, three months ago now, I purposely started going to bed because my wife is a triathlete, right? And so she's in bed at like nine o'clock, nine thirty. I would stay up till like midnight, one o'clock in the morning. I started going to bed when she went to bed just to see what happened. So I'd go to bed at like 9, 30, 10 o'clock. And then I started waking up at five and six o'clock in the morning. And my life has completely changed. I highly really? recommend it. Yeah, because at night, think about it, right? At 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night, you think you have energy, but you're, you're done. Like you've made yeah. 3,000 decisions that day. You can't be very creative. You just, the only thing you have is time. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you take that time and move it to five o'clock in the morning, it might take you a, a couple of weeks to wake up earlier. But all of a sudden now you got more energy, you got more time. And then you look, you get all this stuff done and you look up, it's eight o'clock in the morning and you still got the whole day in front of you. Right. So I, I, it's, I'm, I'm sticking to it. It's, I get up at five, six o'clock in the morning, depending on what time I go to bed, but I get the same amount of time, maybe more actually, because I can adjust how tired I am, right? As opposed to going to bed at two o'clock in the morning yeah. and having to get up at six, you know, I can go to bed at 10 and wake up at, at five. I can go to bed at 11 and wake up at six. It's still kind of relatively close to that. And it's completely changed my life. Huh. Okay. Well, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it and I'll hit you up. I'll send you an email in two weeks and be like, bro, day. I can't do it. Yeah. Do one of those 30 day challenges and, and see what happens. I'm, I'm writing it down in my Michael Hyatt planner, 30 day, 10 PM, sleep challenge yeah so i'm gonna do it 
what's going to happen is like 9 30 and it's like man i i really want to go to and all of a sudden now you're going to go to bed at nine because you just realize that you have all this more all this energy in the morning more than you do i think it's one of those misnomers that people think they're night owls and they could be but i i think everyone's the same i think you can adjust to the morning routine as well yeah i think we're as humans we're pretty adaptive to whatever we like set our mind to do i think we can probably do it so i think you're right i'm gonna I'm the most productive are the times when no one else is texting or emailing me. So it's like from like 11 PM to like two in the morning, like everybody's asleep. So nobody's like asking me for stuff or hit me up. Yeah. But I guess the same is true for like, the same is like true five five or seven. Yeah. probably even more so. Cause like, Hey, nobody want to get up early. So if you're getting up early, you right. can, uh, you can rock through it. So I'm going to try you it out. Drink, I'm going to try it out. Coffee? Do you drink coffee? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So think about being, think about doing work, with fresh coffee in your system versus at 11 o'clock at night, you're not drinking coffee, right? Like, so, so which brain is better? The 11 o'clock brain or the six o'clock in the morning brain with the coffee and the stimulants and and the fresh air and light, all those things. Right. So it's just, I think science, it makes sense. That's good. All right. You, you sold me on it. All right. I don't know if you get commission off of this, but you definitely make commission off of of that convince. So I'll take it. So let's, Let's uh, and that what a lot of what I work on at night is like my YouTube stuff, like my personal stuff, or you know, or if I like had a lot of meetings at work, I'll catch up on work and then I'll try to do some other stuff. Um, you've been um, working in this YouTube channel, and I think I've been following you since because um, there are there's not a lot, but there's there's probably about five to ten educators or people related to education that I I have their tweets texted to me, so notifications. I don't know if that's weird or not, but there's just like I don't get on Twitter a lot, so. There are people that I'm like, you know, I like their point of view or I like the links yeah. that they send. So I have it sent to me. So my, you know, kind of works for me. And you're one that I've, I've had, uh, I think it was like about oh. a year ago, somebody told me about a year or two ago, some, I was at ISTE and somebody was telling me about you. And I was like, oh, cool. And I checked it out. I was like, I like his message. And so I saw it was a few months ago, I think, and you started your YouTube channel. So yeah, it's fairly recent um, since you've started it, but you've been, you've been producing really high quality videos. Like you're doing B-roll, you're doing like, I like to picture it. I don't know if you know Casey Neistat or not, but I call it the Casey Neistat effect where it's like, you've got this really clean professional look to something other people usually are just like, Hey guys, what's going on? And you're like, no, I'm using my Sony camera. I'm using, you know, I'm making it look good. And so um, what are some things you've learned um, as somebody who's probably consumed YouTube since it came out, but now is like committing to like creating what I would consider high quality content. Right. Um, what is, what are some things you've learned in your first few, you know, three to six months in creating yeah. there? So, so a couple of lessons that I've learned through this. So first of all, thanks for following me and thanks for, for watching it. And thanks for saying that they're high production. I, you know, like you, I'm sure you look back at your old videos, you're just like, Oh my God, those are terrible. Right? Like, yes. I'm like that too. Everyone's like that. And I think I want to get better. I just shot one. I, I went to Dallas to speak at an event and I shot the whole thing on my DJI action cam, right? All of it. I just wanted to see what that was like, right? So it's a lot of experimentation to see what works. Now, um, a couple of things that I learned. To your point, I knew nothing. I actually was not one of those YouTube. I'm an old person, right? So like people would, I would say, man, I wish you could see, you know, Jesse Jackson doing green eggs and ham on Saturday Night Live. Man, that, I wish you could find that and watch that. That's just brilliant. And then, you know, some kids like, it's right there. Like, like, oh. it's on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. like, like I'm still old, right? So I, so I never was really into YouTube. And then I started watching it because 
I started getting into this film production and I actually, and this is one of the biggest lessons is what you can learn on YouTube. The amount of learning that you can do on YouTube is insane. And, and part of my expectation for creating high quality video stuff is that my daughter, I have a 26 year old who is a video producer. She, um, I'm going to tweet out something that just, that uh, CNN just posted. So she works at CNN, does video production work for their creative team, and she's amazing at it. But when I wanted to launch this YouTube channel, I reached out to her and I said, "Okay, what's the what's the what's the one thing I need to know? Where do I start?" Because I knew nothing. I didn't even know my camera had a video function on it. I always have been a photographer, but never on video. And she said, "Okay." Keep it basic, shoot at 1080, 24 frames per second, double your shutter speed, keep your ISO at 100. So if you're gonna go outside, you're gonna need a variable ND filter to adjust to the light because you wanna keep that ISO at 100. You don't wanna have a high ISO. And you can double your frame rate up to 60 and then slow down if you wanna do that. And she's telling me all these things and I'm like, cool, thank you for all those tips. Okay, what do any of those words mean? <laughs> like I knew nothing. Yeah. And and I just started diving in and learning and watching and Casey Neistat and Peter, what's his name? And I just started learning. And, and, I, and I think to me, one of the lessons that, that came out of the YouTube channel for me is the speed at which we can learn today is insane, right? Like we can learn today faster than any time in history. And nobody's talking about that, right? Like it's this amazing news that nobody is sharing because you couldn't do that 20 years ago. You couldn't do that 10 years ago. And so that, that to me is the biggest lesson is that the rate at which you can learn how to do something, the rate at which you can say right now, I know nothing about ND filters and three hours from now, I can have an argument with you about whether polar, uh, Polar Pro or or Freeman is a, a better, you know, ND filter, right? Like you can, that's the speed at which you can learn. So on that side, it's it's taught me so much about what we can learn and the ability to learn. And on the other side, for me, I travel a lot, 300,000 miles a year, and it's helped me get a new perspective on things, right? Because now when I travel, I'm not just like getting from point A to point B, I'm actually paying attention to what's between point A and point B. And, and I'm like, you know, stopping over and shooting some drone footage with my little spark, or I go to a park and sit in a park and talk to a video camera. Like, like it's expanded the world for me and give me a different perspective of things. So that I didn't want to create just a talking head video. Not that there's anything wrong with those, but I wanted to take advantage of my situation, which is that I travel. So why not do this while I'm traveling? And so that's kind of the, the genesis for the, for the channel. I love it. And I, I think that adds an element to it. it, adds a layer to it. Whereas, like you said, if you're just a talking head, it's just like, here's my opinion. It could be a podcast. It could be, you know, yeah. I'm just talking. And there's uh, nothing wrong with those. No, no, I, I get a ton of values. It's cool that you wanted to step it up. It's a lot more work. Talking head videos are a lot easier to edit than uh, than sure. something yeah. B-roll and drone footage and a story. And so I, I, I appreciate that. I, You know, a few years ago, I, I got into vlogging for a while and I, I like one of the things that I really liked about it was that, like you said, it would made me be intentional with my day as opposed to just being like checklist. Boom, 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 boom. It was like, you know what? I want to do something cool with the kids when I get home. What's something I can do? And I would do something and it's like you can look at it one way and be like, oh, you're just doing that because you're making a video. Or you can be like, 
you would be tired and you'd want to sit on the couch and watch TV with them. But now you're out doing something cool and you're getting that experience and you're filming it. So my kids can be 20 years from now. They can show their kids a Tuesday in 2015 they had with their dad. And I was like, that's just, that's cool. Um, Yeah. And and actually, and actually that's funny that you mentioned that today specifically because yesterday I got a bug in my head and it's been sitting there bugging me all day yesterday, all day today, which is I want to get to the point eventually where I try to do daily vlogs for those reasons, right? Because that, and also I'm the least interesting person in my life. My four-year-old is so much more entertaining and exciting than I am. My wife is insane and she's an Iron Man and she does all these things. Like I'm the least interesting person in my life. Like I want to capture all that while I'm traveling. So that bug got in my head, like I need to do a daily vlog and I'm, I'm trying to push it out until I get better at this. So it's not going to happen in the next couple of months, but yeah. eventually at some point, if I get to the point where I can edit quickly, then yeah, I think it's a great idea to try it. I think yeah. for the that you mentioned. That's awesome. Yeah. I love it. And I, I, I wish I still did it. It was just, I couldn't maintain that pace. I, I tried, but I know I could, I would just have to readjust some things in my schedule that I have. Um, but I, I might get back into it, but it's fun. I love it. And I like watching them. So um, I have a, another question you yeah. talked earlier about your career um one of the things because i've worked in you know public ed uh, and now i'm in higher ed but one of the things that has always been very important to me and I, honestly the best the best way to relate is this meme i saw one time it said um i've uh, i'm really glad i learned about uh no 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 it said um goodness gracious i'm sorry written it down it said oh this tax season i really wish i'd have learned how to do taxes in school but hey, no parallelograms is going to come in handy for parallelogram season. And so it's like it talks about the things we learn in high school while they are important and they have their place. It's like right. there's so many things that we use that are very important that we like, OK, we'll do a, you know, a financial like like we'll do an accounting class, one elective accounting class as right. opposed to like, look, why don't we teach, you know, taxes or budget or all these other classes? Yeah. What do you think are some some things that schools either on like a like a micro level, like maybe, you know, one individual school can start implementing or doing or maybe on like a larger like state or national level? What are some things to do in public ed or K-12 that could help our students be even more prepared for like college and career stuff? Yeah. And I think that's a great question. And one of those questions that everyone struggles with in education, right? It's the, how is this, what I'm learning relevant to my future or my, well, I'm never going to, math is a great example, right? Math is like, I'm never going to do this math. It doesn't matter to me. Right. Mm -hmm. So so I think there's two issues to that or two angles to that. Number one is I think we've done a terrible job, especially with math, teaching kids why it's important. And for me, it's never about like, cause it's going to be on the test. And we tend to kind of head in that direction. But in reality, the whole entire universe is math. Everything in your world is math. Like if you watch the matrix and you love the matrix, we actually live in the matrix and the code is math, right? Like everything has math in it. And, and there's nothing that you can look at that doesn't have math involved. And so if you can learn the basics, the, if you can learn you know, the intermediate, if you can learn the advance of how these things work mathematically, there's, it works the same across the board, right? This measuring this is the same unit as measuring this, right? And even, and you can use those for lots of different things. So I think we've done a terrible job painting that picture for kids from an early age, right? And so with my four-year-old, 
we start with math. Whenever we look at something, we start with math. How many are there? How do you count? How do you know? How tall is that thing, right? Like everything has math in it. So on that side. On the other side, I don't, I think we need to do a better job tying in the education to relevancy. And what I mean by that, and if, if you follow me, you know that quote that gets quoted all the time, which is, you know, what problem, um, you know, I, instead of asking kids what you want to be when you grow up, which doesn't make any sense anymore because of the world that we live in today and the fact that jobs are constantly shifting and changing and technology and digitalization moves too fast to create specific jobs, right? The question I want to ask students instead is what problem do you want to solve, right? And that to me is a better question to be asking, especially as kids get older. What's the problem that you want to solve? And it doesn't have to be a social problem. It doesn't have to be solving world hunger. It can be how to make cars go faster, how to make better coffee mugs, how to, how to, how to make better rap videos. It doesn't matter, but what's the problem that you want to solve? And then how do you want to solve it, right? And that's an important element to it. How do you, how do you want to take your gifts, your skills to solve that problem? Because the problem could be climate change. But the way you solve that problem, because you're a videographer and you're passionate about photography and, and shooting video, maybe the way you solve that problem is by going out and documenting what happens with climate change or creating documentaries or creating an education program for young people, right? And then the third question, and this is back to your original question, what do you need to learn to solve that problem? What are the knowledge, the skills, and the abilities you need to have to solve that problem? And how do you can start? How can you start building those knowledge, skills, and abilities? And our job it's to turn everything that we do in education into that. You're learning this because it's going to feed this skill. You're learning this because it's going to help you create that, right? Like you, that's the relevance of education. And if there's things in there that aren't relevant, then let's get rid of them, right? Or let's replace them with other things. And I, and I think we need to do a better job tying those two things together with a complete understanding that a general, uh, a, a general education of, of, of sciences and liberal arts and, and culture, that's good for you. It's good for your brain, it, it, but we have to make it relevant. I like that. I, I completely agree. And I love you use two words in there that, that I always try to focus on when I talk to teachers, make it relevant to them because, you know, it's just like anything we do. Like I say to them, it's like, do you want to do something you don't care about? No, if it's not relevant to you or it doesn't seem like it matters, you're not you're going to do it if you're told to do it by a boss, but it's not something you're going to be passionate about. And the other thing you said in there is, um, is, is personalized, like with regards to like what you can do and like, what are, what are you going to do? What problem are you going to solve instead of just being general? And I think technology gives us the leverage to be more personalized. And I always talk about how, like when I talk on Google stuff, you know, I talk like you can differentiate a Google form to adapt yeah. based on any individual kid's stuff. And I, and Google's free. Like you get yeah. it. Like you can do, it's only limited by you not wanting to do it. Um, right. one of the what? things that um, that I love with like where we are, you talked earlier about um, how we live in essentially this information age where you can learn anything at any time. Yeah. Like I didn't, I was a history major who taught math and learned how to do video. Like you you can learn anything from Googling right. it. Right. And it's even easier now because um, so one of the things that I try to reassure teachers on is like, look, uh, the way we used to do class where you were the presenter of information, a lot of teachers feel like, well, I don't want my kids to get on YouTube because then what do they need me for? Because right. if they can learn it from YouTube, what do they need me? But I was like, well, I think you're more important than that. Like you're guiding this entire social process of learning. You're, you're helping help them figure out what are they passionate about? 
how do they project that to the world? Like you said, you could do a video to document something if that's what you're passionate about. Somebody else might want to write a, a paper or start a blog or interview somebody or maybe just go in, figure it out, and then relay it to someone else and be someone's right hand man. I think we all have these skills. And I think an important part of teachers is like tapping into each individual skill of a, of a young person. And so what do you think um, are some things that teachers can do? Say I started changing my classroom around and I was like, yeah. okay, guys, I'm flipping it. You guys are going to watch the lesson taught by somebody on YouTube. And then when I'm in, we're going to, uh, we're going to learn about, you know, we're going to learn about it. And we're going to like trial and error. We're going to debate. We're going to have a conversation, not just me monologuing. Um, what are some things that you try to say to encourage teachers to embrace that when they might be like teaching for 20 years a certain way and now right. they're trying to uh, trying to adapt to a new way of doing it? Yeah, so so I think those are really important questions and really important points because one of the words that I do not like in education is this idea of teacher as facilitator, right? So sometimes the language is, oh, because kids have access to all the information, teachers don't have to teach that information anymore. Now you can be facilitators of learning. And I yep. don't like the word facilitator of learning. And here's the analogy I'll use. I'll use sports. If you think about a basketball game, who is the facilitator of the basketball game, right? There's a, a game going on, an NBA game. Who's the facilitator? The facilitator is the referee. The ref facilitator is there to make sure he's facilitating the game fairly, that you know, that everyone has a fair shot. They're there to make sure that you follow the rules. And when you break the rules, they punish you, right? They, 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 they call you out, right? Uh, yeah. and, and they want to keep things fair and they want to keep things stable. And at the end of the game, they leave. They don't care who wins or who loses. I don't want teachers to be facilitators. I want them to be the coaches, right? Now, if what's a coach? A coach cannot play. They're not in the game. They might not even have ever learned how to play basketball, but they're the coach. And they act like they play. They sweat like they play, but they're not in the game. They're there to guide. They're there to encourage. They're there to motivate. They're there to put the right teams together in the right situations. To me, that's the role of a teacher. In this world, in this digitalized world, in this world where we need to build collaboration skills, the teacher's role is critical. One of the hardest things to do, you know, we think about the private sector. One of the hardest things to do in the private sector is to be a great manager, right? Like that's just an impossible, like 75% of people leave their jobs, whether it's education, for-profit world, nonprofit world, 75% of people leave their jobs because they have a bad boss. Right, the boss is the reason why, and it's hard to put a, the right team together. Right, think about the role for a teacher. Now you got thirty kids. How do you assess their skills? How do you determine which five kids to put together on which projects? Right, like, like that's a hard thing to do. And to me, the role of the teacher becomes more important in this world because they are the coach, the motivator, the influencer, and the person who puts the right people together on these teams, right? And so I that's how I talk to teachers about it. I, I tell them that they, they're turning into coaches, not, not facilitators, actual coaches. And to your point, just because I can teach my kid how to put the ball in the basket, doesn't mean he doesn't need me anymore as a coach. And he actually needs me more because now there's 10 different ways to shoot that ball in the basket. And I what, what's gonna happen when there's somebody in his way, right? That, that, that to me is irrelevant. Who teaches them how to do the thing is irrelevant who guides them and encourages them and, and motivates them, that's where the role of the teacher comes in. That's awesome. I love that, uh, the way you related that, because 
I think a lot of times teachers think like, okay, well, there's the lesson. I'm going to go work at my desk and grade papers. It's like, right. no, you, you've got a lot more going on than that. So I'm going to grab my charger real quick. I'd hate for this to black out halfway through. So there we go. Okay, sweet. So uh, I've got uh, just uh, one or two more questions, yeah. but we can talk as, as long as you have time. I'm, I'm, I'd love to talk to you. So, um, so my next question is you, a lot of the times you're speaking to uh, teachers, students about, um, about coming out of an area or a situation that uh, a lot could see as detrimental uh -huh. to their success in the future, or just statistically, um, they, they don't think they can make it out. Yeah. Um, what is your encouragement to them whenever they come from either a low socioeconomic background or they come from you know, poverty or they, they come from right. a situation that, that might not be as easy as it is for other students? Right. No, and, and, and it's funny. I like that you use the word poverty because those are the words that I use. Like oftentimes we'll say low income. And I always remind people, my daughter, who's 26 years old with a college degree, who works at CNN, lives in New York and Manhattan, she's low income, right? Like, yeah. like grew up poor, right? Like there's a difference between those two things. And so I like that you use poverty because that's what it is. Let's call it what it is. And, and, I, and there's a couple of things to say about that. Number one is I believe education disrupts poverty, right? I believe education changes families' destinies. That's why I do the work that I do. I believe that. Now, something else I believe is that you can look at someone like me and the success that I've been able to have and say, I'm successful and I've been able to accomplish what I've been able to accomplish because I have a 500 IQ. And that's what my wife thinks I think. Or the other assumption that we can make is that there are millions of kids who are just like me who might not have had, they have the capability, they have the capacity, but they might not have had the opportunity or they might not have had the luck. And, and our job in education is to eliminate luck as a requirement, as a sole requirement to being successful, right? Like luck is a part of everybody's life, right? You gotta have a little luck, gotta have a little skill, a little luck and all that. But for those kids that are growing up like that, luck is like the thing, like it is like you have to be lucky, right? And that shouldn't be a requirement to be successful. It should be part of it, but not the sole requirement. And so I think what we need to do is eliminate luck from that. And so part of what we need to do for an, an education community is understand that these kids have the same capacity and same capability that everyone else has. And so that we should treat them and give them the opportunity to show us what they can do. That's number one. If you are in that situation, when I talk to students, I tell them a couple of things. One is one of my YouTube videos is about this. It's about this idea that if I, if I can succeed, you can succeed, right? So this is me talking to a bunch of students about my life and what I've been able to accomplish. And so putting more people like me out into the world to say, look, I can do, if I did this, you can do, there's nothing special about me. There's nothing magical about me. I'm just like you. I just had a couple of things going for me. And, and one of them was luck. And, I, and let's get that out of the way. So I, I talked to students about the fact that if I can do this, they can do this. But the other thing that these kids don't often get to hear is that if they can make it out in the world, who they are, where they come from, their experiences, those things are competitive advantage in the real world. Who you are and where you come from your experiences gives you a different perspective and a different point of view and a unique angle on things. That's going to come in handy for you in whatever you end up doing in your life. 
right? Like, you know, I, I'm in a meeting at Google and I'm looking around 10 people and, you know, they all, some of them went to really good schools and they went on to European vacations and, and you know, they had two fam family members and they lived in a nice house and, you know, whatever. You're going to have seven of those people have the exact same point of view or the same perspective. I have a different perspective. And that comes across in meetings. That comes across in the work that I do. That comes across in lots of different areas. And so when I talk to students, I tell them not to be ashamed of who they are, where they come from, but to use that as their competitive advantage, to use that different perspective and that different point of view in whatever it is that they do in life. And so those things are important. And the last thing, and one of the videos I'm going to create is around this idea of having a reality distortion field, right? This idea that you, you have to have a little bit of a reality distortion field. You have to look at statistics and say that, you know, only... You know, 10% of Latino kids have a college degree and only, I think it's 14%, and only 4% of them have a master's degree. And you got to look at those stats and be like, yeah, that I can win the lottery. I can win Powerball, right? I, my wife, this is my favorite thing about me that my wife loves. Every time I buy a Powerball ticket or a Mega Millions ticket, right? Like, and I don't buy them every week, which is kind of weird, right? Like, like, you know, when it's a regular 10 million like I don't play then because you know what what's 10 million like that's not even yeah. worth up if you won, right? I only no, play when it's like 400 million, right? Like it's the only time I play, which is a strange yeah. but I every time I play and I check the numbers, I am legitimately disappointed and surprised I didn't win. That's how bad my reality distortion field is, right? Like she loves that about me, but you have to have that. You have to have that kind of reality distortion field. Charles Barkley, back to basketball analogy, Charles Barkley was asked in the middle of the Michael Jordan revolution, are you better than Michael Jordan? And he said, yeah, I'm better than Michael Jordan. He wasn't better than Michael Jordan, but he needed to believe that he was better than Michael Jordan, right? Like that's the reality distortion field we have to have for kids. Yeah. This is, Draymond Green said something recently about that. It kind of went a little viral on it with him talking about somebody asked him, like, do you think you're the best defender in the world? And he's like, yeah. I'm the, I'm the best. No, he said best of all time. Mm -hmm. And then they like, you know, everybody on the internet blew up about it. Bleacher reports posting about it. Like, Oh, can you believe he said that? Wow. So arrogant. But then he was like, no, like you yeah. have to believe you're the, the best. And what you're going to do is if you believe you work like this, you know, eventually like hopefully you become the best, but if not, you're going to be better than you would if you just like sat there and thought, well, everybody's better than me. I guess I better just sit at home. You know, right. so, I love it. So last question, since you, you've got a couple basketball analogies, I'm a, I'm a big, uh, big NBA fan. Uh, okay. who's your, who's your team? So I grew up being a Knicks fan. Okay. Um, and that was, you know, painful for a lot of years. Like, I had to grow up hating Michael Jordan, right? Like that's yeah. a terrible thing. Like I yeah. had to hate him. I loved them secretly, but I hated them. And yeah. But some of those series between the Knicks and the Bulls in the '90s are some of the, the uh, some of the best basketball you'll ever see in your life, right? So I love that. And then when I when I moved to Phoenix, um, I kind of became a you know a little bit of a Suns fan, and I got to watch Steve Nash play in his prime year with the Suns. So I went to game. I would go to basketball since you're an NBA fan. I would go to basketball games, the Suns games, regular season games. I went to all playoff games if I could. But I went to all the all the regular games and I would like literally sit there and just watch Steve Nash, right? Like that's all I would do. I wouldn't watch the game. I would just watch him and watch what he did on the floor. It was my favorite thing to do. I, I was a point guard when I played basketball and, and so I loved watching him. He was the best. Uh, so the Knicks are my team 
and and then I've kind of adapted the Suns, and both teams suck terribly. Neither, <laughs> they do. Yes, they and, do. And, and neither team got Zion, which really disappointed me yeah. beyond belief. And 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 so, um, but I think that the Golden State Warriors are the best team that's ever played, and they were not at full capacity. They that they shouldn't have lost that series. Uh, they just weren't. I mean, how do you how do you win a series when the best player in basketball is not there? Like I I I say this to my wife all the time because she has to listen to my NBA stuff. I yeah. I say this all the time. I would pick Kevin Durant first. If I'm picking five, I pick him first. I don't care. You take LeBron. I'm taking Durant first every single time. He's he's a monster, and and I think he gets. He think he's. Believe it or not, I think he's underrated as a basketball player. I I just think absolutely. I think he can easily drop 60, 70 points in a game if he wanted to take it over, right? Like yep. unbelievably uh easy for him to do that. And and so I loved watching Golden State Warriors and I was sad. I actually on Father's Day, I woke up I'm like, yep, I'm excited. I'm gonna, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna, you know, hang out, relax. I'm gonna watch game seven of the basketball game. And right, like like that's what I was doing all day. Back to my, you know, being in denial. Um, yeah. I was sad that there wasn't a game seven. Although I think that I think that they would have, I don't, I think they would have got beat bad uh, in game seven because then they lost, you know, Thompson again. Yeah, yeah, and that's you like to think they could have made the run if Clay, because Clay was going Clay. off, and so, oh, no, they would have so. won that game. That's just that. There's ah. no, there's no doubt in Toronto's players' mind either that they would have lost that game if Clay. Clay was on his way to fifty. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, he had thirty in like yeah. no time. Yeah, uh, man, that was good. I love NBA. It's fun, and I, I'm sorry you guys didn't get Zion at the Knicks, and I'm sorry that um looks like Kyrie going to the Nets. But you might get KD. You might get yeah. the guy. So you yeah, never but, know. yeah. But now we got uh, that was so painful to watch him get hurt. And I actually, yeah. if you saw me on Twitter, I went off on on the fans' reaction in Toronto. Yeah, uh, that was terrible. And and I think look, I think they were I. I love all Canadians that I know are the greatest people in the world. I think they were caught in the moment. I think they were passionate about what they were doing. Also, and this is a theory that no one's brought up. I think Canadians are hockey fans. And and when when two people start beating each other in hockey, people cheer and they're like, yay! In basketball, if two people start beating each other, people like, no, stop, everyone stop. Yeah. Like I think it's a different cultural thing that no one really talked about, which is like player went down, hurt. Yay! Right, like I think that's just a hockey thing more than it is a basketball thing, and I think Canadians got caught up in that moment. Oh, that's a, that's a that's a valid point. Like I have not heard that on anything, so oh. I'm definitely gonna store that away. I'll try to give you credit if I re regurgitate <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, it's just so. an interesting angle on it, right? It is. I like it. I like it. Um, yeah, it was it was rough watching the slow mo of that Achilles. But okay. All right. Well, thank you so much again uh, for coming on here and chatting with uh, with the audience. And, you know, hopefully I, I learned something. I hope they learned something. I was valuable. Where can uh, where can people find you if they want to find you on the Internet? Yeah. So you can there's three places. Uh, one is Twitter. Right. So I'm pretty active on Twitter. You can just follow me at J.C.A.S.A.P. or as a customer service rep 10 years pointed out to me, just call as soon as possible. I, I had no idea that's what's yeah. right? so good. That's pretty good. At just call as soon as possible, J C A S A P. And uh, LinkedIn is obviously another way. I keep a pretty big open network. That's why one of the videos I created is is you have to have a big network. 
So you can find me on 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 LinkedIn, and then I'm also with. We just talked about my YouTube channel. It's just YouTube slash Jamie Casap, J A I M E C A S A P, or J C A S A P works as well. And that's my Twitter channel. So subscribe, share those types of things. I appreciate your time and thank you for having me. I'd love to someday do this in person where we can work on something together and, and put it on both our channels. That would be awesome. That'd be incredible. I would love that. Thank you guys so much. Please uh, show him some love on social. And uh, thank you so much again, Jamie. I appreciate it.